The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. So, so Jeb, you weren't able to go flying today, huh? No. Um, schedules and, and weather just did not uh, um, cooperate. Ooh, it looked ugly down there That's what last you were time saying. I looked. What was well, it like? Man. South of here, I mean, south, I mean, oh, north of here, yeah, it was ugly. Oh, yeah, north of there was just. Uh, but around here, it was just windy. There was, you know, some some fast moving uh, scud this morning. And then uh, actually driving to work this morning, uh, there's, there's a, you know, nice big patch of clear blue sky. And I was kind of wondering if maybe the forecast hadn't been broken. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's just been, you know, kind of a 2,500 over kind of day with a lot of wind. Yeah. I'd say, you know, tw- uh, at least a steady 15 gust to 2023. Uh, well, maybe that, maybe that gust to 30. I'm sorry, know, that, that line of junk that was stretched out across the, oh, the upper third of the state and out into the Gulf of Mexico, huh? I looked at that and said, you know, even with weather avoidance gear, uh-huh. I think my choice would be uh, the the flight line FBO at Tallahassee, and uh, the courtesy car ride to a hotel in town and a nice meal and a beer. There you go. Well, you know, I, I, two things about that. I, I put a uh, an X-ray display on uh, on a loop um, in my office and just and just kind of referred to it periodically during the day, um, and. Um, there, there was a hole. I, I saw a hole open up just southeast of Jacksonville, and I wouldn't have hesitated to dive through that and got it on the other side of it. But you could spend all day looking for that. I was going to say you would have had to have been there when it happened, and right, yeah, that's not something you're going to go. Oh, look, there it is. I can go catch it. Right, it's not going to happen. It's, yeah, that's not happening. The, the other thing is, um, it was been. It's been a month and a half or so now, uh, but I uh, found myself facing a similar line. It was just kind of moving in, you know, off the bend in the Gulf there and kind of going up to the northeast. Uh-huh. It was it was moving nice and fast, um, and uh, I it was it was all you know basically yellow and green with a couple of orange red splotches. Mm-hmm. This stuff today was mostly yellow and orange with a couple of red splotches. There was very little green in it, uh, so that was and it was thicker. It was like you know almost a hundred miles thick. This stuff I yeah, went yeah. Through, uh, a month and a half ago was only about you know twenty to thirty miles, oh, okay. and and I just kind of you know waited for a kind of a break. The stuff's moving so fast that all you got to do is, in, in my case, was just kind of look at the next red as it kind of goes sliding by and figure out what's building and what's dissipating and find a little slot there. And I think there were like two bumps, a little bit of rain, and boom, I was on the other side and turned towards my destination, had a tailwind, and I was I was on the ground in 20 minutes after that. But yeah, that's, uh, that's just, just getting through it, you know, is, is, is finding the right hole. 
you got to have gas. You got to have visual on it, and uh, you got to not be in a hurry. Yeah. That's us, VS, us VFR pilots' famous last words. I can make yeah, it through well. that hole. That's I can, I can make it. I can make it. <laughs> yeah. Buddy, buddy of mine and I were flying back from Oshkosh a long one of the first years I ever went. We were flying back to California in his Bonanza, and we were like paralleling this line of thunderstorms, and it was sort of making this L in front of us, so it was starting to block our way. But we saw this big hole, and we said, okay, we can make it through the hole. So we're flying along, like, watching the ground and looking for places to land, and we're, and we, and we're both almost chanting to each other, you know, we can make it through the hole, we can make it through the hole, we can make it through the hole. Suddenly there were two huge lightning flashes just off to uh-huh. our left, and we suddenly uh-huh. go, we can't make it through the hole. We ended up landing at a cool little crop duster strip with uh, uh, a nasty uh, uh, airport cat and a, and, a, and a really charming old curmudgeonly lady who uh, called the truck and gave us gas. Yeah, it was worth. Dave, you remember? You probably remember that that Oshkosh year. I think it was either '02 or '03, where uh, David, my airline pilot buddy, and I came out. Um, on the get back, uh, we flew. Um, where did we fly? We flew Oshkosh to Albany direct, which not coincidentally took us into Canada. Um, but we're droning along, and there's another line of, of trash and, and stuff moving moving through there. And, uh, you know, here's a guy, you know, 20,000, you know, at the time, maybe 15,000 airline hours. And and here I am in a little bonanza, and we're sitting there. All we have is a strike finder and, and an eyeball. And we're kind of looking at this and looking at that. And it's stretched, you know, 100 miles left to right, of course. And, so we kind of found a little little path, and we go aiming for it and, and slow down a little bit, and we get right up to it, and he says, oh, boy, we're going to get hammered. I'm like, dude, you should have told me that 20 miles back. You know? <laughs> and, and we got through it. It wasn't any big deal, actually, in the, in the, in the final analysis. But um, I was like, you know, tell me this 20 miles ago. You know, don't tell me now. What's the problem here? Well, before we get before we get much further along here, I better make this official. So I'm going to say, welcome, folks, to episode number 71 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Officially uncontrolled. We're recording this podcast on, uh, fr- I think it's Friday evening, March 7th, 2008. And, and uh, so uh, continuing. Just 10 days yep. away from St. Patrick's. That's right. That's right. <laughs> because any excuse to drink something, right? Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Oh, that's a good excuse right now. Yeah, there you go. Oh, there you go. Okay. I'll join you in that. While while they're while they're uh, taking a drink, let me uh, say hello to my friends that are here in the virtual hangar with me this evening. First of all, Dave Higdon is out there. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. And he's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? You finished with your drink? Doing okay. Yeah, I swallowed that 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 slug. And good evening, Jack, Jeb, uh, all our listeners. Uh, nice of you to download us today. Yeah. So, uh, what's going on out there these days? Anything interesting? Have you been flying? <laughs> uh, not enough. Not yeah. enough. Not hardly enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but is it still getting to be spring? When we talked a week ago, you were crowing about how it was getting to be spring out there. Oh yeah, but you know, you know what happens when uh, when you got too much crow around, you wind up eating a little bit of it. It's it's supposed to go down to fourteen tonight. Yeah. So, uh, and we had uh, snow pass through the area today. Didn't get anything here to uh, to notice. It was more like snow verga. It, it was snowing up there, but it wasn't reaching the ground for some reason. Well, apparently it's going to make it to the ground here in Boston. The forecast for sometime in the next 24 hours is for us to get between 3 and 4 inches of rain. 
Right. Well, right. My, uh, the skies my, are going to open up, and it's going to be brutal. And uh, my, my my mother in uh, in the Ohio River Valley in southern Indiana. I talked to her this morning, and uh, you know they were talking six to eight or eight to ten, depending on the forecast you listen to. And she said it was coming down pretty good then. Well, rain or snow? Snow. Oh yeah, I'm talking three to four inches of rain. Oh, that's because you're not getting eight to ten inches of snow. Yeah, but three to four inches of rain turns into like three feet of snow so anyways it, it, oh yeah it'll, you know there, there'll be water running in the streets if it does it in a short enough period of time yeah it's going to be something also here in the hangar this evening is jeb burnside jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine and he's talking to us from not so much like paradise today anyways sarasota florida <laughs> yeah, if you don't you know if you don't like the weather down here just wait a little while it will change it will get it will be nice again soon and, so, and good evening Good evening, Jack and, and Dave, and obviously to all of our listeners. It's uh, great to be here again. Uh, I hope um, I hope the the winter weather is moderating for everyone, when no matter where they are. Uh, I know it's been a tough one in a, in a lot of places, and, and, we, and we do feel for you. Yeah, up here. Well, there, there, there are a lot of signs around here that spring should be over. Uh, we've had spring should robins be and spring, robins spring should and be woodpeckers started. Winter and ground birds. We've got birds out our ears back here in the last week or ten days. And uh, uh, the neighborhood owls moved back into the park for the summer. And uh, uh, a couple of hawks look like they're getting ready to nest and mate uh, in the park next to the house so you know by by all wildlife indications it should bloody well be warmer than this <laughs> soon enough we're coming up on spring break anytime now the middle of uh or the third week sun, in march sun and fun and yeah three and a half weeks sun and fun we're gonna talk about sun and fun in a little while uh and uh, and i am jack hodgson a private pilot a freelance writer and a new media producer i'm up here in boston massachusetts so, uh, Jeb, can you are you able to talk about uh, what it was you were going to fly today, or, or is that um, yeah, I, to, to an extent? I mean, I don't know all the details. Um, it's been kind of busy around the office here the last few days, and, and last week or this week both. Um, we have a uh, headset evaluation project uh, in the mill for aviation consumer. Uh, and the idea was to get uh, some people, myself included, uh, airborne uh, with different brands and models of headsets and do kind of a focus group uh, in the airplane, uh, pass them around and do various things. Um, I don't know what the um, specific plan was, but I'm, I know we needed to go up to Lakeland for it, uh, which is, you know, 20-minute hop maybe. Um, so that's really all I know. And, and Lakeland weather and, and the Sarasota area weather um, is pretty much the same. Just uh, it would have been a very unpleasant time to try to do all this. It could have been done, but uh, uh, wiser heads prevailed, and, and we'll try to knock it out next week. What's going on out here? An amazing video, a really bizarre, amazing video appeared on the internet the last couple of days, and it was so amazing that even outside of the aviation world, it was getting a lot of play. This is this uh, um, airliner, what was it, an Airbus that was trying to land someplace yeah, in Germany? It was a 320. And it was trying to land in a pretty extreme crosswind. And it's funny, we were talking about this just the other day, or just the last episode, about the whole... Uh, 
you know, kind of how do you do a crosswind landing? And I was watching this guy do it the way I try to avoid doing it. I mean, so he came in, he was at a serious crab angle. I mean, it was like a serious crab angle. And, uh, and then when he tried to straighten it out, um, and, and there was a guy, by sheer coincidence, there was a civilian standing mm-hmm. just outside the airport fence videoing this. And, and, a tail uh, watcher. Yeah, and... Uh, and so he's following it all the way to touchdown, and as the aircraft was trying to straighten out to touchdown, it kind of must have got a gust, or I don't know what happened, and it kind of started to drift sideways and then didn't get straightened out and actually dragged a wingtip and, yeah. then, and then executed a go-round. And, uh, B-O-G, big yeah. old gust. Yeah. But uh, that was quite a – and that really could have been disastrous. But uh, yeah. in, the, in the off chance that you haven't seen this and you care to – uh, particularly, you know, if you want to rerun what we were talking about, crosswind landings in number 70, uh, clicking on the link for this one, it'd be worth the, the couple of minutes of time it'll take you to watch it. Uh, and hats off to the pilot. I mean, things looked like they were just about to get beyond the point of no return when uh, he got things back under control and, you know, and got the flock out of there. Yeah. I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall in a cockpit for that one. Oh, yeah, I want to hear the CVR. I want to hear the CVR, too, and and, uh, figure out how to curse in German. That's right. Um, But a couple of things. One, you know, yeah, um, it wasn't a very stabilized approach, you know, if you look at the video. Um, And definitely they caught a gust at the wrong time. Um, Someone asked, you know, on another list, you know, asked, well, why didn't they try another runway? And my response, of course, was, well, because the video camera wasn't positioned for <laughs> Well, and now this is totally unconfirmed, but someone, I think it was Randy, said that, uh, in fact, they went around and landed on a runway that was a little bit more aligned yeah. with the wind. Yeah, they did. But, uh, you know, it's... It, <laughs> Which is suggests, it's, it's, which begs the question of why this guy accepted this runway in the first place. That's well, true. yeah, the, 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 there there is that question. Uh, I have said no to the the runway that was quote unquote uh, the active on a couple of instances, and uh, gone with uh, the you know a, a different runway at my request and and. But then there's also this thing when you're going into a busy airport and you're on an IFR flight plan and all that stuff where things tend to get in a groove a long way out. Mm-hmm. And you don't discover just how necessarily just how bad things are, particularly if how bad things are uh, has become the status quo since the last time you got conditions reported to you, probably on the Yatus, uh, you know, 30, 40 miles back. Uh and we've had, we get conditions through here where in the span of 15 minutes, things can go from being moderately windy in one direction to outrageously windy in the complete opposite direction. And then back again five minutes later, uh, it caught a, a, a flight going out of uh, Jabara several years ago uh, when they were taxiing to the active end of the runway the conditions were right for that runway but just before they started takeoff roll a gust front started rolling through behind them and caught them Mm mid-runway and the gust front gave them about an 80 knot tailwind right after they cleared the, the, the runway high enough to drag a tip yikes 
there's another uh, um, bit of um, evidence about of this Hamburg Airport episode. There was you talk about people being in the right place at the right time. Not only were the videographers in the right place at the right time, but there was a still photographer in the right place at the right time. Apparently got, uh, I presume it's it's all legit. Apparently got a shot of the airplane dragging its left wingtip. Mm. Uh, and it's on airliners.net. I'm sitting here trying to find it. I'm um, not having a whole lot of luck. Um, and I'll continue to look here for a few minutes while we're talking about this. Or, and of course, you can move on at any time. But uh, I, the whole thing is, um, uh, yes, uh, okay. Uh, um, y'all be careful out there now. Yeah. I, mean, well, I, know, I, have, I, have, I have mixed emotions about the idea that this guy decided to go around after dragging a wingtip. Well, he cl- it, it clearly wasn't going to work out there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, I mean, yeah, that was no no issues with my where I sit. I mean, and and we we know that we know of instances in uh, you know in in crashes both part one twenty one and part ninety one uh, where the, the reason the crash happened is because uh, whoever was driving the airplane decided to go forth and press on. When all indications and and all conditions urged otherwise, yeah. uh, you know it. You know it could be as simple and benign as running off the end of the runway and, and you know digging into the mud or running off the end of the runway and shearing all the wheels off, to uh, having an uncontrolled touchdown that winds up in your ground loop in an airliner, and maybe having things go completely cattywampus after yeah. that. I mean, I, I admit that's true. It's a pretty pretty tif- difficult decision to make, but yeah. I mean, I was just watching the video and thinking, man, I hope he didn't hurt that wing any more than, you know, a little bit, because... I, I, it probably was just an outer panel they had to change well, from I, the looks of it. Yeah, but... I mean, in retrospect, that's what happened. It was relatively minor, but how did you know that? You know, I mean, it's a... It's a real, oh, yeah, it looks, it looks a real so bad, trade-off. all the dust that gets kicked up. It's a real trade-off. When you're when you're in the cockpit, it wasn't dust. That was water and or concrete. Um, but I, you know, at, at that particular point, I mean, you've got I don't know how much runway was behind them. I don't know how much runway was in front of them. A lot, suspect, a lot. I suspect they didn't know the answer at that specific microsecond either. Um, but I suspect were, it didn't make a difference. I, I don't. I suspect they didn't care. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. I, I suspect it was a matter of let's get the puck out of Dodge. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, I'm sure that's and, exactly uh, the terminology they used. In well, that. and you know something <clears throat> that bears something that really bears pointing out or remembering here is that there's a significant difference in the inertia yeah. of an aircraft of that weight and size and that wingspan. When it comes to uh, you know everything about controlling it, right. now you know I've seen A320s fly up close and personal at, at a Paris Air Show display, and the pilots have showed just how responsive it is. Paren for an airliner, yeah. right? Close paren, uh, a light aircraft in the same circumstances, proportional circumstances, yeah. might have responded a lot more quickly and might have looked like it was you know. A in worse trouble part of the time and B getting out of it a little easy, yeah. easier, but man, you got hundred and some odd thousand pounds there. 
uh, wheeling around at probably 160, 170 knots because he was carrying plenty of speed down that runway. Mm-hmm. Well, it's easy enough for me to sit here and second guess these guys. They pulled it off. Well, they did the right I, thing, and they got. I, it. I'm not going to second guess them at all. They're they're, no. they're able to use the airplane again, and they walked away from the from the landing. So I'm and, not the least bit stressed about any of this. It's all it those survivors got a story they'll be telling the rest of their lives. Yeah. Well, that and and it, it makes great conversation among pilots and us and, and others too but uh, at the end of the day it's it's kind of a nothing burger uh, really well, the, it, only, it, the only reason it's it's even being discussed is there happened to be video yeah of it. that's true that's I mean, true well and you know it's kind of a catch-22 for for aviators if he just screwed up and crashed the airplane everybody'd be second guess him second guessing him trying to land the airplane and in, in all that crap and not go around, and he goes around, and people second guess him, you know, even attempting the landing. And from from my seat, sitting here, imagining myself in the same place, it's like, you know, you don't know some of this stuff till you get there. Yeah. Right. Yep. So let's see now. A uh, bit of news from from Jeb from one of your favorite pieces of airspace in America. The uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure you Some miss on a daily basis. You miss flying in the uh, oh, Washington DC. It is. I, I, I had a, I had a guy. I'd I'd written something, and I guess it was on Avweb. Uh, I'd written it obviously some time ago, and the guy this week actually emailed me and said, you know, had had a question about <clears throat> what I'd written and, and how it applied in, in the ADAs and this in a specific operation he had in mind and, and this kind of thing. So it's it's always been a uh, it's always been a it's always held a fond spot in yeah. my heart. Well, it got right. somebody busted it today uh, recently. You want to tell this story? What happened? Well, apparently, and I'm I'm just referring to the AOPA website now. This is a blurb on uh, on their website uh, uh, this morning or this afternoon, I should say. Um, basically, talking about how pilots need to remain vigilant following an ADIS. It's a reminder that pilots need to be uh, uh, vigilant when in the ADIS or entering the ADIS or even flying around the ADIS, and they're doing so in the aftermath of a yet another inadvertent aid is bust uh, and uh, according to AOPA the uh, most recent incident occurred when the pilot of a Beechcraft King Air allegedly canceled IFR at 14,500 feet most likely the pilot was thinking he was above class B airspace and clear of restricted airspace the problem is the aid is extends to 18,000 feet well yeah but there's nothing that says you can't cancel IFR within the ADAs. You can enter the ADAs IFR, cancel IFR and proceed to your destination VFR because the ADAs flight plan mechanism is basically just an IFR flight plan but with a VFR notation in the remarks block. Um, in this case, there's more. there's got to be more to it if there's an alleged violation here, um, like s- squawking 1200. Um, he's definitely above the class Bravo. The class Bravo in DC, as I recall, is up to ten thousand. Um, and at fourteen five, not only are you uh, uh, above it, but uh, normally anywhere else in the world, you'd be VFR. But of course, not in the eighties. The other stupid thing about this is why um, squawking VFR is such a felony. Uh, and I put the word felony in quotes. 
uh, in the 80s, it's, it's got something to do with, uh, you know, the way uh, 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 the forces of darkness, as, as one of our close friends calls them, uh, <laughs> tracks, uh, tracks aircraft uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the 80s and around the 80s, but uh, no one's really been able to discern why the simple act of squawking 1200 is, is, is um, such a cause for alarm. Literally, yeah, it seems. Literally. It really seems to me is is much ado about shouldn't be anything. Uh, yeah. Maybe a letter to the guy saying, "By the way, you're supposed to have kept that code." Yeah, twelve hundred's not acceptable in the eight is. Remember that in the next time. Don't do it again. We'd hate to send F-16s well, out. But isn't it likely that when he canceled VFR, he was instructed to squawk VFR? Well, it, it's <laughs> um, generally, um, yeah, that's the case. It, it, if you're squawking, I mean, sorry, if you're if you're canceling IFR and uh, being told, you know, just get out of my face, get out, get off my frequency, um, that would in- indeed be the case. But we have a newcomer uh, in the hangar. A little commotion here, yeah. Uh, someone's at the door, um, but. Um, It'd be interesting to hear the tapes on this one. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Is there any uh, other airspace in trying America? Trying to keep that's... the evening light. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm sorry. Where was the little, where was the little dog? Was that, was that in Florida or Kansas? Yeah, that's that in was, Florida. That's in Florida. That was in Florida. Okay. Yeah, right. if it had been the Kansas dog, it would have been a – the voice sounds like it's about 95 pounds on the Kansas dog. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. That's yeah, okay. It's only a 55-pound dog, but it sounds like 85. So, are there any other pieces of airspace in North or in the United States that uh, are as, you know, strict as the Washington the DC-8 is? On a regular basis, no. Um, now there I mean, are there's an ADIS around the continental United States, but the the <clears throat> way it's treated and the procedures are completely different. Right, completely different. Yeah. Now there are, of course, you know, various standing TFRs. There is the TFR over Disney World, for example. Uh, uh, there yeah. are TFRs over various sporting events and and stadiums um, uh, around the country. And if 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 you pull up. Uh, Various maps from time to time that that the FAA and other sources have that plot TFRs, you'll be able to see these with with uh, uh, fairly good clarity and, and, and good accuracy. Um, but again, it's it's the moving or uh, not the moving ones. Although the moving ones are a pain in the butt too. It's the the temporaries putting the T in, in TFR, the temporary TFRs that pop up from time to time that are, are done by NOTAM. Sometimes uh, they're done, you know, uh, contemporaneously at the same time the NOTAM is issued. Um, there's one now for um, Monday night, and, and basically like 11 o'clock or something like that Monday night through 3 a.m. or something Tuesday morning for... Uh, the shuttle launch facility on the other coast of Florida. Uh, okay. Yes, forty mile uh, uh, radius, I believe it is, um, or maybe diameter. I don't. I don't remember. But um, so go up to sixty one miles. It goes up to in, in probably infinity, uh, or higher than you can climb anyway. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. He was telling us hang gliding stories, man. I don't know. It's so. Yeah, well, a hang glider would probably be probably get away with it in that airspace, but you're not going to get much lift. 
Um, no. <laughs> well, unless you get in exactly the right spot. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we know about we know about these uh, TFRs. Up, we have the our beloved uh, uh, prohibited area slash TFR over Kennebunkport, Maine. Uh, up yeah. There in, oh, of course, up of in course. Newman, which is it's a, it's a very you know modest little prohibited area normally, but then when uh, when the current There's... President Bush uh, visits his dad. Um, it it blossoms out to be a thirty nautical mile radius. There, there was one like that over Little Rock for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, friend of mine well, it, who happens to have worked works. once for the, the friend of mine who once worked for the Friendly Aviation Administration. He uh, he, he he has a different definition for the acronym TFR. <laughs> <clears throat> totally <Is> foolish it? <laughs> restrictions. Uh, um, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, uh, putting course. aside putting aside the likelihood of uh, of the next president realizing what a Charlie Foxtrot all of this is and 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 exerting some, <laughs> some uh, authority to overturn it um, during the campaign season, there's going to be TFRs popping up like summer thunderstorms. Oh man, All, you know, I've, so I, I think I think it should be an in cockpit sensor. Yeah, and yeah. they should make it. The FAA should include it in the uh, ADSB uplink services that they're they're going to have to offer us to get us to swallow uh, uh, the, uh, anything approaching a revised NPRM. Uh, make that TFR uploads. Uh, part of the uh, MODES link, and that way, as we're flying along, and a new one pops up, we'll actually be able to see it before we get busted. Yeah, we're going to talk about ADSB in a second here, but uh, oh, really? We're move on here. Um, let's see now. <laughs> sad, very I'm sad. I'm so surprised. All kidding aside, uh, I hadn't, didn't realize this video existed until you guys called my attention to it. Um, we talked last uh, last week on on the podcast about the. Uh, the RV and velocity collision yeah. that yeah. took place in Titusville, Florida, and oh, uh, turns man. out, you know, it just goes to show you more and more these days, just about everything is being caught on video, and uh, and apparently somebody caught this thing, uh, at least the aftermath. Just as I guess, happened. I'll have to start turning out the lights then, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, um, so aluminum uh, foil over the windows. But I was just yeah. looking at it from while you guys were talking. I was looking I'm, at. It I'm for starting the first to time. run out of foil these days, though. The uh, Someone was over, sort of behind the uh, the line where aircraft were parked, and and, and he got a shot of the uh, sort of you know hidden by the line of airplanes. He saw the velocity tumbling and then catching fire, and then moving. Yeah, out you can to, see some of the tumble and a whole lot of the fire yeah. and aftermath. And then he ran out around the line of airplanes and and got a shot from a distance. None of this is very close, but from a distance he saw the uh, apparently what is the RV on fire as well. A lot of fire in this incident, I guess. A lot of fire, and that's that's uh, curious. I, I I don't know how surprising it is, but it it does strike me as a little curious. I um, I don't just strike don't... me curious. You got you got airplanes no. that uh, were flying short cross country. We're probably heavy with fuel because you know how we're taught. Yeah. You take off with full fuel unless there's a compelling reason not to. So uh, you're making these short hops that these folks had made mm-hmm. into the airport for the pancake breakfast. Right. You, you're heavy on fuel when you get there. Well, no, I I understand all that part. I guess what I'm trying to get at is I don't remember um, a a crash like this being 
uh, as flammable. Let's put it that way. I, I don't. I don't. In my in my experience, I'm sure. Maybe you know. Maybe I've missed some things, and I'm certainly willing to be educated. I just don't remember uh, too many crashes like this to begin with. Much yeah. less with so I mean, much flame. Yeah. It's, it's just a tragedy all the way around. But it there's is. just a lot of flame involved. You know, both aircraft were on fire. They, they both were hit just right. Um, well, and in a way, uh, you know, are, are we are we talking about another crosswind control issue here? It's possible. Because uh, Who knows the, the, way sure, it, but the way the scenario uh, played to me was that the RV was taxiing away from the was on a taxiway away from the runway when right. it got clipped by the the um, today velocity that man. had been on approach to land and uh i guess was attempting to go uh, attempting a go around mm-hmm. and uh that's when it hit the uh, the RV and that put it into a tumble yeah and Jeb, you're good at this stuff. Does, is there an NTSB initial uh, report? I was just looking on the FAA website, and I'm going to go to the NTSB um, to uh, see if there is anything on this yet. I, I just had that thought. Why don't you all move on, and I'll do that. Do this Sorry. in the background. Well, uh, we can trim it. Well, it just bring, brings to mind even you know what's supposedly you know a nice, relaxed get-together. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. Um, what's it say? This, this is on, of course, March 1. Uh, this is the uh, the brief on from the FAA website. November 128 Romeo Victor, an experimental RV-8 aircraft, while taxiing, was struck by another aircraft, November 244 Charlie Uniform, an experimental velocity aircraft that was attempting to land. Two persons on board, November 128 Romeo Victor, were fatally injured. There were two persons on board, November 244 Charlie Uniform, and one was fatally injured, and one was seriously injured. Um, weather observed at Titusville at the time, uh, wind uh, 010 at 5, 7 miles, visibility 15,000 scattered, um, temperature 18, dew point missing, altimeter 3032. Uh, let me go to the NTSB website. That's that's all they have there. They don't Here's mention the runway in use, for example, to five well, knots of wind. I'm sorry, I'll I'll take that. No, that's, down, you know, that's nothing. Um, you know, that's not. It it made me wonder because I, I'm not clear where the RV8 was when it was taxiing. Was it taxiing on the active, as in it had landed and was taxiing to the turnoff? Uh huh. Well, here's you know, the that's, NTSB. That's, that's what's been hard to uh, to discern. Yeah, here's the NTSB report, uh, which is up. The preliminary is anyway. According to witnesses, da 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 da. Um, the witnesses stated that a flight of four RV8s landed in formation. Following uneventful landings, the four RV8s were exiting the runway at intersection Bravo. The lead RV-8, November 128 Romeo Victor, which is the accident aircraft, had entered the intersection and was midway between runway 15 and the parallel taxiway. Okay. When it was struck from the left side by the velocity. Witnesses stated the velocity had landed on runway 15 following the flight of four RV-8s and departed the runway on the left side. Really, a grassy area separating the runway and taxiway. The velocity continued in the grass 
and witnesses stated that they observed the velocity collide with the RV-8 in a left bank and with full engine power. Both airplanes exploded into a fire. Yeah. The well, that's examin- really complicated. Yeah. The on-scene examination of the RV-8 found it in a grassy area adjacent to the intersection Bravo. The wreckage was on a heading of 280 degrees. The fuselage, okay, yeah, da 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 You don't want to, you don't want to know about the rest of it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they don't mention here, let's see, well, they're talking about, um, they don't specific, yeah, okay, runway 15 was in use. The wind was zero one zero at um, five knots. Um, that's a little bit of a cross from the left. Yeah, but not much. Not much, and and that's very gentle. Um, well, something something went haywire there. Something for the went, guy to run off the runway through, through the grass and. I wonder if he had a wheel steering failure of some sort. I wonder if something. Like, yeah, I was wondering if a brake was stuck or something. You know, or or or, or an un, uncommanded rudder hard over or something like that. Something that caused him to veer off the run off the pavement. And, uh, yeah, something something didn't function correctly there, and that's that's interesting. Tragic, that's, but it's yeah. so it, re, hearing the preliminary. You know, that's why I try never to rush to judgment. I try right. to, you know, I, I can formulate scenarios in my head without saying, oh, that's probably what happened. But I was having a hard time understanding the descriptions I'd heard. Yeah. Because it sounded like the uh, airplane on the ground was off the runway mm-hmm. and the other airplane was going around. Mm-hmm. This is the way it, it sounded to me at first. This right. is a completely different completely different set of uh, circumstances and I don't imagine that uh, I, I imagine it was a big surprise to the velocity pilot as well Could be. well it's it's um, yeah. although he was at full power he was trying to get out of he was there. he was trying to go around I, he, it was he was like I don't know several feet past being able to do that it sounds like he was uh, the situation already started uh, uh, unfolding by that point but <clears throat> Uh, you know, early reports. We didn't know if if uh, uh, the velocity landed on top of the uh, the RV on the numbers when they were both trying to land. Um, if um, you know the RV was uh, trying to take off, and you know, we, no one really knew what the what the deal was. And you know, this is uh, unfortunate, but it it does indeed uh, uh, clear up uh, uh, several questions. Yep. More as we know about this one. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's very sad. Our sympathies to the families. Absolutely. 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 And and the whole Spruce Creek community, I understand, was just uh, uh, really really hit hard by this one because the RV8 had to had departed Spruce Creek, and uh, there's two former airline pilots who were well known and I think were year round residents at Spruce Creek as opposed to Snowbirds and. uh, it's, uh, uh, it's very nice sad. Community. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, very sad. But okay, well, moving on. Uh, Be careful out there, folks. Yeah, gosh, yeah. So I, I really hate it when Jeb is right. It's just, <laughs> it's just. So for, he's right for, about something. I don't know. Right May, I don't know. Maybe he's not right. All I know is that for for weeks, months now, uh, when we've been talking about ADSB. Uh, Dave, with some authority, and me just kind of talking off the top of my head, are sort of, you know, liking what we're seeing here. And Jeb just keeps sitting back going, I don't know, it's just this guy can't pull it off, you know. And uh, 
And so now some new report has come out. What's going on? That uh... well, I'll with that kind of an intro. I think I'm just going <laughs> to sit back <laughs> and let you guys talk about it. Well, I got nothing hang, else. Hang, to hang say. on, hang on. My bride Annie is just dropping off my dish of crow. Hey, Andy. Uh, oh, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> So uh, it goes like this, and and I still stand by what I think is the potential of this whole idea. Yeah. But, I, you I've know, the devil just, was in the details, yeah. and the details weren't there. There was bone, but no meat. Right, right, right. Uh, we, we did talk about the, how the real benefits, and we've talked about this before, how the real benefits of ADSB are in the cockpit equipped to get ADSB in. And with the piggybacking of the services that can be piggybacked on ADSB, and uh, as the details went, the FAA proposed only ADSB out to their benefit, gives yeah. them something to look at, but it doesn't uh, doesn't equip us. Uh, they tried to. They, they wanted to set a standard for equipment for which no standard exists, for which no equipment exists yet, which sounds a little bit like some of the replay of the MLS uh, uh, effort 25 years ago. Oh, my God. Uh, so the panning has been pretty broad and pretty broad brush. It's uncanny how different groups that don't normally agree on a lot are agreeing on this and on complementary bases. Right. Uh, so, I mean, so something's changed in the last week. What, what was, what's changed? What's changed is that the folks who were able to analyze bit by bit all the details of the entire NPRM and then weigh that against what was required and what it was going to cost and what it was going to provide said, you know, this is uh, coming up short. Uh, what what happened is we got the deadline for the response to the NPRM, and quite a number of the alphabet organizations that you'd expect to respond to an NPRM like this held their responses until the deadline day and then filed them and then basically announced what their filing said to give it a little extra horsepower in the uh, in the uh, uh, mind and eyes of the flying public. Uh, you got everything from Craft Electron Association calling it uh, ADSB on steroids and suggesting that the, the uh, FAA try something new that's revolutionary. I mean, not revolutionary like this, but evolutionary. Uh -huh. uh, other organizations like uh, AOPA said there wasn't enough benefit for the pilots, uh, that there was no way that there needs to be some incentives operationally and cost-wise. Uh, NBAA had its own points. They weren't all that kind. Uh, target things were items like you got to have ADSB out, but we also want you to keep your tra transponder, your Mode C transponder, uh, as a backup. Well, if they're going to keep that as a backup, then they must be keeping radar in a lot of places because <laughs> you got to have radar for a transponder in Mode C to mean anything. And there go, there's not any real cost reduction in that area for the FAA. Now we're maintaining two systems. Uh, 
no particular only WAS is approved as a primary navigation system right now and very few units are available there's not a wide variety of, uh, of WASH units available yet that are IFR certified. Uh, they're expensive. There's uh, a certain amount of questions about the communications requirements that are going to come downstream later, also undefined. Uh, this, you know, we can go on and on about this. To reiterate, I still think that if they paid attention to what the benefits of the full package were, Things that they experimented with up in Alaska and, the, and in the Ohio River Valley with the uh, UPS tests uh, of ADSB capstone and uh, and and in the Ohio River Valley project, uh, that there'd be something there for the GA pilot to get on board for. But this idea that you got to own and maintain two surveillance systems, this is supposed to be good enough to handle all of this with more accuracy and lower costs. Why don't they trust this enough to let it be standalone the way transponders are now? We don't have a backup for transponders and the system goes on. So, you know, there's there's going to be a lot more said about this. Uh, I hope it doesn't turn into one of these long, drawn-out affairs where the NTSB comes up with another NPRM that is not well thought out and not well justified, uh, but the length, width, and depth of the uh, uh, of the opposition here was really surprising. Yeah, yeah, it was. I heard and you laughing back there, Jeb. What, what's well, your- I was, I was, I was trying not to snicker. Um, <laughs> Snickering I, a lot. I think um, some people are finally coming to their senses here, and they're realizing that. Uh, uh, like so many other things going on these days, this emperor doesn't have any clothes on. Um, they they need to to really put some meat on on this bone if they want to try to sell it. When um, will I yeah. ever learn? Yeah. That said, you know that said, I, you know the FAA's proposal. I'm, here I am, kind of sort of defending the FAA here. The FAA's depo- proposal in this NPRM. If we're talking apples and apples. We had to do with the the ADSB out specification, basically the minimum requirements right. uh, for ADSB out. In other words, the airborne component, and wasn't really a matter. It wasn't really an MPRM that specified um, how the equipment was going to be used, the operating rules under which it, it would be used. Um, these kinds of things. It was just basically, you know, the ADSB has to deliver, has to transmit this signal. Um, uh, and, and the signal has to contain this information. That's all that they were trying to get to. Um, but you know, so many other people wiser than I uh, have decided that it was uh, uh, perhaps not FAA's best moment. Um, so, uh, well, you know, on on the upside, folks, they're at eight hundred independents. We, <coughs> we we know you can do better. That's right, they, and they have done better. And, and there's a lot of good people working at FAA still, uh, despite the brain drain over the last few years. Um, they'll get it right eventually, come hell or high water. Uh, all we have to do is keep holding their feet to the fire, and uh, that's that's why we're here. That's why, that's why we're here. And do that's not consume those feet until the internal temperature reaches at least 160 right. degrees. Otherwise, the restaurant will not be responsible for any uh, uh, food poisoning. That's right. After after all, we are talking about UCAP's favorite aviation agency. That's right. That's right. That's right. 
We love you guys. So for years, we've been going to uh, all the, the, the big national air shows, and at many of them, we get to see a lot of cool uh, military aircraft. We've seen uh, Raptors and, and uh, uh, what, uh, C-7s or C-17s and C-5s and you name it. We've seen some cool airplanes. One of the airplanes that I've been wanting to see ever since it, it, uh, it was in development and then went into service is the uh, V-22 Osprey, the uh, tilt rotor. Uh, aircraft, and I was always wondering why it never appeared anywhere. Well, the guys, it's the folks at Sun and Fun are going to fix that this year, and uh, they announced in the last week that the uh, Osprey, the V-22 Osprey, will be appearing uh, for the approximately the second half of Sun and Fun this year. I guess it's going to arrive on like Friday and be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, it sounds like there's going to be two of them. Two of them. That'll be cool. I really want to see this. You know, I mean, I think it was Randy who said we've seen enough of the Harriers. We want to see a V-22. Right, And. Right. Uh, well, the, the reason, of course, you haven't seen one until now is that because until now they're not have not been ready for prime time. Yeah. Uh, they, they they're finally, operational now. just ready they're, for they're combat, finally, but not. Well, they're finally operational. They're combat operational. Um, uh, if you uh, uh, believe what the government tells you, shall we say? Um, and um, that's one of the reasons they're going to finally be at uh, at Sun and Fun this year. I, I would presume. If they're going to be at Sun and Fun, they'll probably be at uh, at Oshkosh also. But I still, I you know, things hadn't checkered enough history that you know, I kind of want to be uh, three or four links away from its rotors, you know. No, that man, would I... put you in uh, Plant City. That's right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'll go for a ride, man. Give me a chance, and I'll go for All a right. ride. All right. I'll, I'll, I just... I'll hold. You know, I'll, I'll hold the keys to the website while you're doing it. Okay, because I think it's a cool airplane. I think it's well, a cool first, airplane. My, they they my had a mock-up at at Oshkosh last summer. They had a mock-up the, of the civilian version that they're working right, on. Right, the six hundred nine, the Bell six hundred nine, um, and and the civilian version, as I understand it, is is smaller than the than the military version, and that was pretty impressive. So uh, yeah, it's uh, a corporate aircraft. Right. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I'm looking for all kinds of sun and fun. Just while we're talking about sun and fun, I'm going to remind people that where we are, that uncontrolled airspace is going to be at sun and fun again this year. We will be uh, recording two episodes while we're down there. We're going to be doing the first of two uh, on day one, which is Tuesday. We'll be recording the uh, episode uh, right after the daily air show. It will be aired live on sun and fun radio down there in the Lakeland area. And I don't know whether there's Dave, you've been talking to Dave. Are they streaming on? Audio on the internet this year, or I don't know the answer to that. I know that a service called Flightline Radio is going to also be rebroadcasting us, uh, and there's a special little credit card size radio that uh, people can pick up. I think it's twelve bucks. Yeah, and get uh, a couple of two or three different channels of programming from Sun and Fun. And we'll be on one of those live both the opening day, evening after the air show, and uh, 10 a.m. Uh, the morning, a closing day. A closing day. Yeah, that'll be the second episode that we do while that we're down there. That would be the second one. We're going to be doing it from the uh, the new Sun and Fun uh, radio studios there, uh, sort of at the towards the rear of the exhibits area. Check your uh, Sun and Fun map when you get into the area to find it's your specific... Clubhouse Row. Oh, you have real information now. That's that's good. And uh, Data. Actual data. That's right. And hopefully we're going to be out on some sort of porch or somehow accessible to the outside so that folks can stop on by and, uh, and say the hi to us. vegetable stand. 
can where you pick up the tomato. I was going to say, it's just, just a couple of feet away. Yeah. So. The, the, the dancing bear gets gets the stuff thrown at him. And, I was talking to uh, I was talking to Pilot Will uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, he and Jason Miller from the Finer Points podcast are going to be in Sun and at Sun and Fun for Good. the first first half of the week. I invited him to come on by and uh, and say hi, and probably. Uh, pick up a microphone for a few minutes and, and join us uh, on the uh, first edition that we're doing while we're down there. And uh, we would love to have, uh, you know, we're, and we're going to get some of our f- special friends from the aviation community to come on the podcast as well. Uh, we'll kind of figure that out as we get down there and figure out who's in town and who's available. But uh, and, 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 and which of them are special. That's right. And so it looks who to will be... A- actually, it comes down to who will be seen with us. Being yeah. heard with us is easy. Being seen yeah. with us... Yeah. Who, who will allow you know a recording to be entered in as evidence that they actually associate with that's, us? That's, that's in photographs. So. In, in photographs, yeah. So we're going to be doing that at Sun and Fun. If you're uh, if you're at the uh, at the air show, make sure you stop by uh, on Monday or Sunday or both and say hello. And uh, we're going to make a special. I am going to make a special effort and make sure that we get these episodes posted on the internet as quickly as possible, probably within 12 hours uh, of recording them. But uh, there'll be lots Smoke of different ways. Yeah. Well, we're going to make sure we. I'll buy the beer for that. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. I'll hold you to that. All right. All right. <laughs> so that's Sun and Fun. Anything else we've heard about Sun and Fun? We're gonna we're talking about getting uh, John Burton, the president of uh, Sun and Fun, back on the podcast sometime in the next couple of weeks prior to us going down there. Hopefully, we can make that happen. Um, yeah, we're, we're just trying that. to work out the details, and and uh, uh, hopefully, friend, John will be able to come on soon. Yeah, our friend Dan Johnson, who's uh, uh, with the uh, Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association, uh, long time pilot aviation writer and the guy that's responsible for me being in aviation no one hold that he's agreed to come yeah. he's agreed whoa, 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 to come whoa, whoa, on whoa, whoa. with us the uh, morning who is this day dj oh oh that's dave right Johnson. dj that's taught right. dave how to fly that's... yeah we don't we don't hold that against him do we darn it <laughs> so that's sun and fun coming up pretty soon about a what about a month from now i guess and uh, well april 8th through the 13th i believe it is 8 yep. 9 10 11 12 13 yep that's it six days tuesday through sunday that's right 30 31 32 days from now that's right check out oh, their website at man uh, it's bearing down on us www.sun-n-fun.org sunandfun.org what else? Let's see. Uh, what's next on the list? What in the world does this mean, Jeb? I think you put this on the list. English proficiency. <laughs> English proficiency. Yeah, I, I was what is a little this bit. all about? Well, we talked about this last week, actually. And this is something else, I think, on which I was right. But uh, be that as it may, uh, we were talking about um, U.S. Regist- U.S. certificated pilots who want to fly internationally, whether it's you know the Bahamas, Canada, Mexico, whatever. Um, as of March 508, according to ICAO, they were supposed to have an endorsement on if they extended the deadline on their certificate that they were proficient in English. Uh, and there was all of a sudden this great hue and cry across the land um, that, oh my God, we got to get new certificates and all this kind of thing. Well, the FAA, in its uh, infinite, albeit um, um, untimely wisdom, uh, at the last minute told the IK told, told ICAO they would file an exception, basically, and and uh, which is ICAO speak for uh, uh, requesting a, uh, an extension of time to comply with all this. So, instead of the March five 
08 deadline, um, the U.S. has notified ICAO that it has filed a difference. That's the that's the uh, phraseology that will extend the U.S. compliance date until March 5, 2009. So we have another, you know, 360 days or so here now to uh, um, get these new certificates if you want to fly to the Bahamas, you want to fly to Canada, you want to fly to Mexico, all of which, of course, presumes that someone in the Bahamas, Mexico, or Canada is actually going to ask you for your certificate. Uh, I don't know how many times that has happened. Um, but um, there's a $2 fee to replace your airman certificate and, and get one with this endorsement. Uh, you can do all of this stuff online. Um, um, wait, wait, wait. Maybe I wasn't paying attention here. You're saying well, I've got to get one of these things? No. If you want to fly to Canada, you do. Oh, well, okay. Hang right. on, hang right. on. So there's, if I want to fly to Canada, I have to get a certificate that says I speak Canadian? No. That no, you that speak you speak English. English. Do you, do you, okay. Yeah, that you're proficient with English. Well, now, they're, not, they're, they're not going to assume because you came from the U.S. Sure. that you're proficient in English. Well, they want I know some, that I know that they I'm want somebody in an official position. Yeah, I know that the I'm government proficient. was in official position and, to know how well you spoke English. And you're from New England. You're from New England. How can you be proficient in English? No, 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 no. That's what well, I was going to say. I'm proficient in English. English. You guys are in trouble. That's the you know y'all are in trouble down there. Well, now, <laughs> Jack, Jack, there's another shoe to this thing about certificate <laughs> replacement. Yeah. Uh, there's two other. Is it by by uh, about the same time in 2010? You're supposed to have transitioned to a plastic license anyway. Right. That's right. I already got mine. That's a different standard. I already got my plastic license. Well, there's, but there's, your there's, current plastic license is not stamped English proficient, is it? I, probably not. It probably is. See, if you really want to be ready for anything, spend another two bucks. I actually happen to have it right here. Let me see what it says here. Okay. Well, here, here's, here's the trick. Um, getting a replacement certificate costs $2. Uh, and, and if you, you are except just getting Except if a, you do it at Oshkosh, then it's free. Except also if you do it, you can do it at Sound and Fun, you can do it at Oshkosh, maybe one or two other air shows. You can get it for free also if you don't want your Social Security number to be your airman certificate number. Mm-hmm. That's right. If you I want them to generate a... If you want them to generate a random certificate number for you, they will do it, and in this case, they will waive the $2 fee and give you the proficient in English endorsement, and you're home free, copacetic, you're good through you know, the next iteration of FAA certificates. Okay, so uh, which how, be how, do we, how do we take advantage of this opportunity at Sun and Fun? We will, uh, well, I, I, I say probably at Sun and Fun. They have uh, a big FAA uh, presence at Sun and Fun also, right? Um, and uh, we'll have to report on that as it happens. I'm afraid. I, was I don't say that, know would, for that, certain- that would be that would be worth getting in line for while I was at yeah, Lakeland. It would be. It'd be too easy, actually. Um, but uh, we'll, well also I, put. I a, would put chip a in five bucks just to not have to wait. Well, there's that too. I would, I would see your five and, and raise I, your I, ten. I don't care if I, if you know, if all I'm doing is putting it in the kitty of the air traffic controllers and handle sun and fun traffic. You know, they used to have the controllers that came down there used to throw this kick-ass cookout the night before the show actually started. Really? Yeah. You know, it was like five bucks. For well, you got, burgers you got and, and hot dogs yeah. and, and beer. I think beer might have been extra. But uh, they did it as a fundraiser for something or other. 
but th- that stopped a couple of years ago because uh, I, I think they got some flack about it from 800 independents. Uh, anyway, I really miss that yeah. because that was that was after they could tell you the first day crazy stories about traffic at Lake Parker. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have a note. We'll have a link. Uh, excuse me, not a note. We'll have a link to this uh, uh, the, the FAA web page that discusses all of this uh, on the on our website uh, associated with the show notes. So uh, it'll be easy but, to you find. Know, if, if, if you want to fly international, you need this endorsement by 09 March. If you, but either way, you need a new certificate by about the end of February 010. Yeah. So, you know, you might as well pony up and get it as quick as possible. Plus, I've got to get one that's not signed by Marion. Mine's signed by Marion Blakey. And, uh, we're gonna... <gasps> well, you want to save that. that. You know, that'll go in a museum someday. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Let's see now. Uh, um, <laughs> so, here we go. There was apparently some news regarding... I just had thought, but go ahead. I just apparently, had an evil... Apparently, there was news in the last week regarding FAA re- reauthorization. Dave, Go. Uh, <laughs> uh, put put the mixture forward. Oh, right, right. Sorry, full wrench, full wrench. Yeah. Well, what you happened? Know, so you, somebody wrote a letter. You, right? you know how? Let's see how to put this. You know how rare an eclipse of the sun is. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they you know they they come along in great rarity. Uh, particularly great rarity over land where anybody can see them. Well, this past week, I believe it was 35 different associations uh, sent a letter to the 110th Congress. That's the one that's in its second second and last session right now, uh, asking them to please, 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 pass a comprehensive, I'm quoting here, long-term reauthorization of the Federal Aviation Administration. Uh, Further, we wish to express our collective hope that passing a bill in a timely fashion will be a priority for the U.S. Senate in this second session of the 110th Congress. And please do it before John McCain becomes president. Uh, the the list of organizations here just blew me away. It's a bizarre well, who was, list. It's actually who was kind not of, who was not there. Well, here's my favorite one. The, AOPA is not there. AOPA EAA is, is not, not there. But but the Portland Cement Association is here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, Professional Airway System Specialists, Transportation Trades Department, AFL CIO, the United States Chamber of Commerce. The Airline Pilots Association, Airports Council International North America, this, American this Association like of State Highway and Transportation Officials, National you know, Association of State Aviation Officials, David, General David. Aviation Manufacturers Association, this, this sounds National like Business Aviation Association. Good Jeb. God in heaven. I mean, who else do you need? You need the AOPA and EAA, and that's it. Go ahead, Jeb. This sounds like something that came straight out of the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee. Uh, given name. the given the players that are involved here, uh, it's it's it sounds like something that some some uh, mid level staffer ginned up, uh, threw all the logos in, made the phone calls, put it on a copier, zapped it out. Um, yeah, it's great. It puts pressure on uh, on the Senate side nominally. Um, 
uh, integrate. It's it's you know doesn't doesn't really involve user fees, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. Um, yeah, some of the players in here. Um, you're clearly, you know, aviation players. Some of these players are, are just out to make a buck. Um, so I, I don't get too excited about some of that stuff. Well, it is true. Some of them are just there to make a buck. But you know, the funny thing is that some of these overlap with those associations that have been strong advocates of continuing the uh, excise taxing system that we have now, mm-hmm. uh, albeit at higher rates for general and aviation. Well, business some aviation of these guys stuff. though also don't care. Whether there's a user fee involved here? That's right. That's right. They, they, they just want to see. They, they just want to see a bill, and right. uh, yeah, I'd like to see a bill, but I don't necessarily want to see a bill in favor of user fees. So there's there's a happy hunting ground or happy middle ground here, maybe a hunting ground also. I haven't uh, seen anybody on this list that's been an advocate of user fees. That's well, one of the things that struck me. It's it's a, it's. It's, it's a, missing it's a, the usual suspects who advocate for you. It's a glass half full or half empty situation. Have they have all of these groups also come out forcefully in opposition to user fees? Well, quite quite a large number of them have. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I, Aerospace I, Industry Association. Uh, but when you get down to Airline Pilots you know, Association, uh, when you get down to Portland Cement Association and the Florida, there's a Florida uh, aviation group in there also. I, I really don't think those people care a whole lot about whether user fees exist or not. They're just making. They just want to make sure that there's an AIP program that runway money flows and that they Absolutely. get some. No, no so, question. No question. Uh, all, all, I, all I'm saying is. Uh, fair weather friends. Yeah. Well, the, you guys uh, need to, it, as long as they're fair weather, with what's the dominant position I, of the I, associations I, that have yeah. taken a position. The enemy and, of you know, my I'm enemy cool is my that. friend. I understand because, that. Because right, because I can't imagine any of these associations signing on with other associations who took a position that was not in their best interest. Right. Okay. Right. Well, you you guys need to put out the word that the next time they write one of these letters. UCAP will be on it too. Our logo would look sure. Cool I'd list. sign on. That's a nice little I, list I, of logos I, here. I'd like to. I'd like to see the letter before I make such a commitment. <laughs> well, okay, but if Portland Cement Association can be on the list, UCAP yeah. can be on the list. Yeah, I, I know. I know they're lobbyists. Sweet letter. I, I, know, I know the Portland Cement Association's lobbyists. So I. Um, and he is a good friend of mine, uh, but I know where he's coming from. So there you go. All right. Well, and you know, five point four percent of the gross domestic product they point out here, six hundred billion mm-hmm. in uh, contribution to the uh, uh, American economy, nine million jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good reasons here to keep the ball rolling. Uh, not the least of which, it's the most effective, most efficient way to fund it. So, uh, you know, if if this moves the rock in the right direction, yay, rah, pat all 35 of them. Let 35 of them break their arms. There you go. There you go. That's right. That's right. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is here the, we go. This is the anti-off-field landing of the week. This is off-field landing of the week. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. This has been – so this guy uh, – let me look at this on, the, on my screen here. Yeah. So So – so here's the situation. A guy is, I, you know, it's just such an improbable story. Apparently, this guy is flying his son in in the in the airplane, their ski equipped airplane. What is it? A, a 1949 Piper Clipper, I guess, is what it is. All right. And the son is late to some sort of class or something. Okay. And so dad decides that the best way to get the kid to the 
class on time is to land on the adjacent golf course on one of the fairways of the adjacent golf course without any permission without any anything and uh, caused quite a commotion the police were called i mean you know people thought it was a i don't know they probably thought it was a crash or they thought it was some sort of sinister activity or whatever and uh, and the kid still didn't get to his class so well and you know he tried to take a mulligan yeah, well, yeah. Well, this is one of those situations where later on you go, "Oh, wait, um, it, uh, it was an emergency. That's it. It was an emergency. I had to land. I was, uh, well, it was precautionary." I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I have, I have mixed emotions about this. The guy was trying to do a good thing for his grandson or his son here, and it's his son. And yeah. From, from the looks of the of the photograph on this website, this is a Chicago Tribune website, and I'm sure we'll put a link to this also. Um, but from the looks of the uh, of the photo. The whole area probably had you know six eight inches of snow. It's not like you know he 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 had to, he interrupted somebody on the back nine uh, when he landed here. Uh, the flip side of that is it does show incredibly poor judgment um, to just kind of pop in uh, uh, land on private property without being invited to do so uh, and without having a bona fide emergency. Uh, I, I, but, I but the flip down the, into the no the third, harm, no the third foul, side of the slap the, the guy on the wrist and, and, exactly. and let him go. Third side of the coin. After all of that is said. Apparently, there was no damage to the airplane. There were no injuries. The airplane was perfectly capable of doing what he did and, and, and taking off again without any, any problems or anything like that. So in his mind, it was probably, you know, and, and, and you and I and all of us here at one point or another don't think anything about doing s- certain things in an airplane that, that other people, uh, the, the, those who don't fly uh, with, with regularity, would find uh, just a fantastic uh, concept. Um, this gentleman felt that landing his airplane was not only safe, but uh, a reasonable thing to do. Uh, and everybody else around him was, like, was horrified. Well, uh, he didn't even hold up. He didn't even hold up a foursome. That's right. That's right. I mean, you exactly know, right. I mean, who's playing so, golf on a course with six to eight inches of snow on it? Yeah, uh, it was it was it was bad judgment, but at the same time, you know, no one was hurt, uh, uh, no one was injured. There was no property damage. I would I would bet Robert Kadira would never do this again. I, I think no one around in that vicinity will do this again. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and, and I got to tell you, uh, once upon a time in a former life when I was flying hang gliders for an exhibition team in uh, North Carolina, uh, one of our alternate landing sites was a pair of fairways on a golf course at oh, yeah. the bottom of the mountain. Yeah. And I mean, all we were asked to do is to survey the two tees for those two fairways and kind of shout out a few hundred feet above touchdown that we were about to land. Uh, in the interest of not screwing up the guy's game and the parallel interest of not getting hit in the head with a golf ball. Right. <laughs> right. No, I mean, this. well, you know, it's a law of nature, by the way. There has to be a golf course right next to an airport. Isn't that true just about everywhere? I, I don't know. That's been... No, it's a law of nature that there has to be a Denny's next Yeah, well... Next, uh, that's, I, next, that's, that's La Quinta. Means next to Denny's because at Palo Alto there was a, there was in fact a, a Palo Alto Muni Municipal Golf Course was right next to Municipal Airport and uh, and that was one of my outs. I mean I, that was one of the spot. There was a fairway that was sort of you know not quite a ninety degree angle from the from the, the departure end and uh, and I I like the setup in Baraboo Dells, Wisconsin. There's yeah. a casino right next to the airport. 
Yeah. Well, Las Vegas, there's a casino in the airport. Do you feel lucky? I guess that's right. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> depends on how you got to Las Vegas. Anyways, that's I don't true. Know. I don't know if this counts as the off-field landing of the week, but uh, Mr. Kadera, it uh, works yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> you got a better canopy? Come on down. Uh, yeah, yeah I really. Know. I know. Anyways, <laughs> what else we got here? So. Uh, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. Congratulations to our friends at AOPA. Uh, I think we may have talked about this. Is there, there? Is this actually the 50th anniversary of the organization or of just the no, magazine? No, just the magazine. Just, just the, the magazine. magazine. And, uh, Jeb, you called attention to this cool website that they've done. What did, what did they do? Well, what they've done uh, in the, the current issue of the magazine, uh, the March 08 issue of the magazine, um, is basically devoted to celebrating the 50th anniversary of the magazine and goes back in time and, and looks at um, some of the editorial content, some of the ad content uh, that was present in that first issue. Um, they interviewed, there was a, 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 a feature article 50 years ago in the magazine about some women in Texas who uh, had their pilot's licenses, etc. Well, uh, they got uh, energetic and enterprising, and tracked down several of those women again for the 50th anniversary oh, that's issue. That's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, they, uh, you know, compared prices of aircraft and avionics and other products, and and the rate of inflation since then, and this kind of thing. It's all very, very interesting. It's all of a piece. Well, to the to the to AOPA's great credit. They also took that 50-year-old issue of AOPA Pilot and digitized it, cover to cover, as you would have seen it 50 years ago arriving in your mailbox, and it's available on the AOPA website. You could literally turn the pages um, uh, with some software that they've got, and it's all, again, very, very cool. Uh, it, it shows you what uh, um, what aviation was like back then. Some of the names that longtime AOPA members are familiar with are still uh, um, well. Let me put it another way: some of the names that longtime AOPA members are familiar with uh, were in that first issue. Some of the people involved. Um, some of these radios I've flown behind. Yeah. So, you know, so. <laughs> I'm looking at the magazine issue right now, and this is great. One of the, it really the, is. One of the, the, the first article listed in the table contents is called, What About Airspace Use, Mr. Pyle? And the subtitle is The CAA Chief, and I believe the CAA was the predecessor to the FAA, right? That's right. correct. The CAA right. Chief gives his view in an exclusive interview with the with AOPA pilot, I'm just going to read you the first paragraph. All right, from this article, a short who did time. That, who did that interview? Does it say? Uh, uh, it doesn't. It's not clear from this first page. Okay. First paragraph. A short time ago, Civil Aeronautics Administration Administrator James T. Pyle, AOPA number two five three six four, sat down <laughs> with AOPA to explore informally some of the problems troubling general aviation. The discussion was tape recorded. In this exclusive interview, excerpted from the tapes, Pyle gives his views on the air traffic control situation. Now, I'm sorry, you could just use that paragraph and update the names and numbers uh, for today. Right. right. 50 well, years think, ago. Think, think, think about what it took technologically to tape record <laughs> like that in 1958. Right. I mean, this is before cassettes, you know, before MP3s and iPods. All right. Well, congratulations to uh, AOPA. This is kind of cool. I was flipping through the pages here and. Uh, um, yeah, some of these airplanes you still see on the ramp. Um, and, yeah. Uh, 
Um, they were no, it's, 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 there's nothing really earth-shaking or, or newsworthy about any of this. It's just, it's just kind of a really cool thing that they did that, you know, here's a, here's a piece of history from, from 50 years ago that, uh, uh, shows, you know, so many neat little pictures of, uh, what aviation looked like in the United States back then, um, how far we've come and, and, and as, as, uh, um, Jack correctly points out how little things, certain things, have changed. That's right. That's right. Very and cool. I, uh, I, I got to point out the uh, the name of the original editor. Uh, it was a gentleman who was my pleasure to meet and, and and spend a little time around in my brief time at AOPA years ago. Who was that? Max Max Carrant. Uh huh. Max Carrant, who uh, was a real spark plug behind taking what was a, a, a presence, an insert, if you will, in Flying Magazine and breaking it out and creating an all-new publication dedicated to and for the AOPA member, yeah. and that became Pilot. Yep. It's a great magazine. I've always loved it. It's one of my favorites. Um, Shout-outs. Any, uh, any things you want to call attention to before we wrap this thing up? Well, I'm, I'm going to shout out something here that folks are going to hear too late for March, but it's worth keeping in mind uh, for subsequent months because they do this every month. And no, it's not Ponca City. Okay. But the second, oh, Saturday, the second Saturday of the month, uh, the hotel proprietors at Beaumont, Kansas – have a fly-in pancake breakfast. And for those of you that uh, that are interested in this, just keyword Beaumont Hotel, Beaumont, Kansas. Uh, you'll come up with the website. You'll come up with some information about the airport. You'll probably come up with some stories on uh, blogs about people that have flown in there. But the story of Beaumont is it was a, uh, a stop on the Frisco Railroad where – the Oklahoma and Kansas cattle barons drove their herds to get them loaded up for shipment east. Now, they did the same thing out in Dodge City, but Real this was a much farther Real east, different grazing area. And uh, the cattle buyers would come in from the uh, the big cities, uh, St. Louis, Kansas City, Chicago, and pick out what they wanted to buy and go on trains there and headed back to the, the destination. Over the years... Some of those cattle buyers started showing up in airplanes, and they landed in on a pasture just on the east edge of town. Uh, that was that started pretty seriously right after World War II. Uh, all these 60 years later, that pasture on the east edge of town is formerly a runway. It's owned by the Beaumont Hotel. It's kind of a 1836 orientation, about 2,500 feet long, nicely maintained. Uh, you can tell you're at the right town by the old wood water tower there, and these days it's a couple of miles northeast of a very large wind farm uh, electric generating station. Every second Saturday of the month, fly in at the Beaumont Hotel. Uh, in some instances, you can taxi up 116th Street across Main Street and park your airplane across from the hotel. That's my favorite part, that you get to taxi up the street. Yeah. And uh, if you're in the vicinity, passing through, uh, the hotel accommodations are great. The restaurant's excellent. The bar's well-stocked. Uh, about the only thing that you can't get at the Momont Hotel is fuel. 
but Augusta, El Dorado, Wichita, Chabara, uh, Coffeeville, numerous places within 15, 20 minutes where you can. So worth a stop. Sounds cool. Jeb? Nothing for me to write now. Nothing for me to this, for this episode now. Great. Uh, no, I, I did all my – I shot my wad here earlier. So you can learn more about Dave and his work. You Google his name, Dave. The website's still coming back, right? Uh, worked on it some this week. Okay. Well, for the time being, Google Dave Higdon. Uh, eventually, you'll be able to visit him at uh, DaveHigdon.com. Learn more about Jeb and his work at JebBurnside.com, also AviationSafetyMagazine.com and AvWeb.com, and myself at JackHodgson.com or AroundTheField.net. And visit us all. Read the blog. Uh, visit the forums. Uh, check out the Frapper map. Uh, at uh, uncontrolled. That's airspace. really cool. I, yeah, I know. I've been cool. so blown away by him. A lot of people put their little color dots. List comments, so. A lot of people put their little color dots. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. So thanks everyone for joining us in the virtual hangar, and we'll talk to you all again next time. 